morning. If you're a guest here this morning, I especially want to welcome you. Say, we're so glad that you're here. Right after our service here, we've got a place called Guest Services out in the Grand Foyer, and we'd love for you to, to go there. Maybe one of our, our members would help take you there. We've got a gift for you. It's just our way of saying we're so glad that you worship with us today. And we just are asking that if you're looking for a church home, you might consider making Central Community your church home. I welcome all of those who are watching online. I got a picture from a buddy of mine who he and their small group who are in Maryland are in Delaware on the beach today. So they were watching this morning and they just said greetings. And um, I just, I love how, how God's word works. So we're in a series right now. Next week's our last week of this series called Mountain Man. And we're talking about a man by the name of Elijah. Today's a really important lesson. It's a message probably that a lot of you have heard before when we talk about the events that took place on this day on Mount Carmel, but today is something that's very important, and I want you to believe, and I want you to understand, and I want you to give you what it is you need so that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have heaven behind you in every prayer and in everything you do on behalf of the Lord. Now, one of the things that we know right now is that we're in football season. It's, it's all started, right? Okay, this is a good time of year. If you've got a great team, man, this is a great time of year. If not, well, good luck. But you know, in the very first few games of the season, the schools, the colleges always play sometimes schools of a little lesser talent. And the reason is, is because they want them to kind of get their offense, get their defense going. They pay them money even to come and and, and lose, which for a lot of them, that's how they make their money for the rest of the season. But, you know, this is a time when they just try and figure out, make sure that, you know, they're on, they're on track for the bigger games. There are those games when the coach says, today we want to make sure we leave no doubt, okay? When we leave, we leave no doubt about who the better team is. You know what, in life, I really believe that God wants to leave no doubt in your life and the lives of those who are watching your life that he is indeed in charge and he's large and in charge. But there's some things that we have to do, we have to accomplish on our part to make sure that that happens because it's a partnership. We're working with the Lord. So have you ever had a time in your life when you've done something and God showed up in a mighty way? Has that ever happened to you? I mean, it's like all of a sudden God showed up and earth moved, heaven moved, and something came about that you never in your wildest dreams thought would take place. And after that, you're different. And you're different because you've experienced God working in your life. I can remember for Lori and I, it happened, we were standing right over there. It was on the Sunday that I was candidating for the pastor here at um, right here at Central Community Church, and you needed to have a 70% approval. So Lori and I were back there. Nobody knew who the candidate was, and we were getting ready, and I was kind of going through my mind, the sermon again of what it was that God had put on my heart. And I remember the choir was there, and they were singing 10,000 Reasons. So every time we sing that, that, that song is a special song. It's a special song for me because I always remember where I was. But what you didn't know happened is as I was standing over there, somebody came up to me just before I'm getting ready to go out and say, hey, Pastor Bob, you need to know that there's a petition going around right now for um, another pastor to become the, the senior pastor. Really? Okay. But what I remember more than anything is that as I was standing there, 
Here's what I prayed. I said, God, whatever you're going to do today, do it big. Whatever is going to happen, leave no doubt. And that's exactly what he did. And so today, what I want to have happen in your life is that with, you, with, with confidence that you can pray, that you can say to God, God, whatever you're going to do today, leave no doubt and then move forward with confidence in his might and power. Stand with me out of respect for God's word. As I read from 1 Kings chapter 18, and this is a, a lot of you already know this story, but there's some things I think that God's going to teach us today that maybe we weren't aware of. I'm going to begin at verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal, don't let anyone get away. So they seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, when it comes to your word, once again today, I just ask one thing, leave no doubt. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. And before we get into our story, there's a couple things that you need to kind of understand or know a little bit about the background or what the, 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 the mindset of the people is. And so here's the first one. How many of you have ever heard of a, a man in the, in the Old Testament by the name of Nebuchadnezzar? Would you just raise your hands? Okay. Nebuchadnezzar was a very powerful man. In fact, if you go to history right now, you can see that he was known not only just for the power he had, but for the buildings that he created. I mean, he was just a very gifted leader. There's even leadership books written on his leadership. But the problem with Nebuchadnezzar was is that not only was he a very good and strong leader, but he was an arrogant leader. And I want to show you, I want to give you a glimpse of what was in his heart as a man who was head of the Babylonian Empire. Look at what it says here. As he looked out across the city, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my own mighty power, I have built these beautiful, this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. Okay, that's somebody a little full of themselves, wouldn't you say? Now, I want you to know that the Bible tells us that as the words, as these words were on his lips, God humiliated him. Look what happens. 
That same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven. He lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. You know what that says to me? You don't mess with Almighty God. And that's what God did. God had given Nebuchadnezzar time to heal, time to become and repent and become the man that God wanted him to be, but he chose to go in a different direction. Just like in your life right now, if you are walking away from the Lord, the Lord is coming after you. He's the hound of heaven. And he's putting things on your mind, in your heart, in your circumstances to draw your attention to come back to him. Nebuchadnezzar learned that lesson. Look at what his heart is like now in these scripture verses. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify the honor of king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. Mission accomplished. In our story today, King Ahab finds himself in a very similar predicament. Now I want to remind you what has happened. God has brought about a drought. Why? To turn King Ahab's heart back to him and to bring his people back into his bosom. That's what's going on here. All right, now, before we go on, it's important for us to remember once again, what does God have against Ahab? Well, he's got three things. Remember what they were? Number one, he had called a group of men to be priests that God never called and God never equipped. The second thing that he did is he led them in the worship of Baal. During this time, there is no worship in Israel of Almighty God. But the thing that really got the Lord was this. He set up two calves, two golden calves, remember? He didn't want his people going to Jerusalem to worship. And so he set up a calf, a calf at Dan, and he set one up at Bethel, and he said, Hear, O Israel, these are your gods that have delivered you from Egypt. That's what God has against him. Now, what I want you to learn is this is the first teaching lesson as we go into this, and it's very important for us to hear this, Okay? Before God could bring his blessing back among the people, he had to deal with the sin of idolatry. Okay, I'm gonna say that one more time. Before God could bring his favor back on his people, he had to deal with the sin of idolatry. Now you may say, well, what do you mean had to? He had to because he's a holy God. Now I want you to look at this statement here, okay? And let's work at how this applies to our lives. It is useless to pray for a blessing when we haven't dealt with that which has brought about his displeasure. And I want to say that again. It is useless to pray for a blessing when we haven't dealt with that which has brought about his displeasure. Here's what I want you to remember. If you want your worship to be pleasing to God, then you better get rid of all your idols. I just want to let that sink in a little bit. All right, so let's go on now with our story. 
When he saw Elijah, this is King Ahab talking now. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now, I don't know if this has ever happened in your life, but have you ever blamed somebody else for something that you brought upon yourself? Have you ever done that? I did it just the other day. I blame Lori. I'm going up the stairs and I stub my toe up against a chair. First thought, who put that chair there? Maury. The only problem was it's been there for eight years, okay? But isn't it true? We do, we blame other people for things that we bring upon ourselves, right? And that's what's happening right here. Ahab is mad at Elijah because Elijah has pointed out his sin. And that made Ahab furious. So we know from the story that a contest is arranged, right? This is the very first Super Bowl. And the contest, God told Elijah, was to take place on Mount Carmel. I want you to understand a couple things about Mount Carmel. When you look at it from a distance, it looks like it has a flat top. The reason that God wanted it done on Mount Carmel is because he wanted everyone around to be able to see what he was about to do. So here's what Elijah says to Ahab. You get all your prophets of Baal. You get all your prophets of Azrah. So that's 450 prophets of Baal. That's 400 prophets of Azrah. That's 850 prophets. You get your 850 prophets and you meet me on Mount Carmel and we're gonna have a contest, okay? And this contest is about good versus evil. All right, so that's, that, that's where we are. And Ahab says, okay, so there's a messenger that goes out, and what do they do? They, allow, they, they send a word out to everybody, at such and such a time, we're going to meet on Mount Carmel, and this is not just for the prophets, this is for everybody in Israel is supposed to be there. So now, everyone has gathered. They're all there, and they're wondering what's about to happen, and Elijah speaks. I want to pause for a moment and I want to tell you something. Elijah's not speaking to the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Asherah. He's speaking to God's people because that's whom God is after. Now watch what he says. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? Okay, can I stop there for a second? I want you to look at that word waver. The word waver means to teeter-totter. You sat on a teeter-totter before, right? You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down, you go up and down. So what was God saying? God was saying to the people through Elijah, how long are you going to be lukewarm? How long are some days where you're going to follow Baal? Because you know what? Baal offered a very um, attractive, fleshly type of incentives. But at the same time, they still had some fear of God because of what their ancestors had told them about God. And so they would waver back and forth, and God says, how long are you going to do this? Now, I just want to remind you guys, Scripture's pretty clear here. If you're a lukewarm Christian, you're in trouble because you're not a Christian. 
The Bible tells us in Revelation, if you're lukewarm, what does he say he's going to do? He's going to spew you out of his mouth. What does God want? God wants all of you. He will not settle for a part of you. That's how much he loves you. Are we clear on that? So on that day when the Lord comes, he's not going to say, are you ready to go with me? Well, let me get back to you on that one. Not going to happen. It's very clear what God wants. It goes on and it says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Now let's, let's read those that last line together, okay? Ready? Here we go. But the people said nothing, okay? Let's say it a little bit louder, okay? So the church mouse will hear us. Ready? Go. Ready? But the people said nothing. So Elijah just told them, you got to pick. That's what this is all about. You have to choose whom you're going to serve. And all the people were like, I just got to pause there for a second, and I want to ask you a question about this. You remember when Elijah was going to the brook at Kareth, one of the things I talked about is that rather than going to the brook, he could have gone and hid with Obadiah's prophets that he had hidden, right? But he said, no, I'm not going to do that. But the other thing I told you was is that there were 7,000 individuals who had never bent their knee to Baal. Remember? You know, my question is, so how come we never hear from them? What are they doing? They're hiding. So here's what God put on my heart that I had to ask myself, and now I'm going to share it with you because you need to ask yourself. Is there anything right now in this world, in our community, that we know goes against God's commands that we are being silent? Man, I had about two or three things things that came up in my mind. Is there anything going on in our world today that God is saying, my church needs to speak up. So the contest now is about to begin. You know what's really interesting about this? You would think that this would be a contest about rain, right? I mean, there hasn't been rain for three years. So let's have a contest about rain. But that's not what it's about. What is, what is it about? Fire. It's about fire. Now, I want to go back before we go into this next verse, and I want, I want to remind you of something, okay, about what we learned a little bit ago. Before God's blessing can come, before God's favor, the relationship, before that blessing can come, sin must be eradicated. Sin must be eradicated. All right, now, let's go forward. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call in the name of your God and I will call in the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said something. They said what? Yeah, what you said is good. They're all thinking, this is gonna be really good. Now think about this. 
Fire is the final answer, right? That's what the scripture just said. Fire is the final answer. Well, did you know that Baal is the fire god? Now, you would think, you would think that, you know what? Okay, what's God doing? He's stacking the deck in Baal's favor because he's supposed to be the god of fire, right? Wrong. What I need to remind you of is this. Fire was the symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the children of Israel, do you remember when they were going through the wilderness? How did God lead them? A cloud during the day and what? A pillar of fire at night. Let me show you a couple things real quickly here. First one is this. The fire of God's wrath must fall on the guilty people or a sacrificial substitute, okay? This is the fact of a holy God. Everybody clear on this? The fire of God's wrath must fall on the guilty people or a sacrificial substitute. God set that up from the very beginning. So look at this verse in Mark. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where fire never goes out. So what God is telling us here is that sin is serious business to him. It's very serious business. Okay, let's go to another one in Leviticus. It says this, fire came out of the presence of the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat portions on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted for the joy and they fell face down, okay? This is another example. So fire is the presence of God. Fire also demonstrates the wrath of God. In this particular place, this is the place where now the priests have been put a place and God is about to descend and make his presence known. And how does he do it? He does it with fire. I want you to think about something about what happens next. This is important. So the Bible says that the priests of Baal and Asherah start calling on their God. And for three hours, the Bible says, they are calling on God, and Elijah's getting a little bit tired of it. So what does he do? He begins to taunt them. From 12 until 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he begins to taunt the people. And what do they do? They start cutting themselves so that blood is flowing because they're trying to attract the attention of their God. All right, now, here's the important part. What happens at three o'clock? Elijah says, enough. Here's why. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descendant from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seed. All right, here's what I want you to understand. Elijah stopped the people, the prophets of Baal, at three o'clock in the afternoon. Do you know why? Because at three o'clock in the afternoon, is when the sacrifice was to be offered, the sacrificial lamb 
was to be offered at three o'clock in the afternoon. One of the things Elijah was doing is he was pointing his people to the worship that was taking place at that moment in Jerusalem. He was paying homage and honoring what God had said about the place where they were supposed to worship. But my friends, he was also paying homage to another sacrifice that was going to take place many years to come. You know what it was, don't you? It was the sacrifice that was to take place on Calvary. Because at three o'clock in the afternoon, that's when the lamb was slain. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, on another hill called Mount Calvary, the fire, the wrath of God was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. That sin had to be paid for. Up until this time, it was just a sacrifice. It was a representation. It was a substitute. But now the real thing was coming to play. And God had given his son Jesus to live the perfect life, to go to the cross so he could take the fire, the wrath of his, of, of his, his hatred towards sin and heap them on his son Jesus. Why? So that that sin could be paid for all of mankind, for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ forever. My friends, everything in the Old Testament points to the New Testament, Jesus. I want you to understand something. How did, or how do you know that God approved of what Jesus did? Well, some people would say, well, he raised him from the dead, right? And you would be right. But there's another proof. You know what it is? It happened on a day called Pentecost. On that day, the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. And do you remember how they appeared on the heads of the disciples? Tongues of, say it, fire. That's our guarantee that when we call on the name of Jesus, no one can call on the name of Jesus except through the Holy Spirit. That's the proof. That's the reminder of what happened back then. God approved of it because he put his presence, that fire on each of us. That's why we are secure in who we are and in whose we are and where we're going. That's why we have the hope of heaven. That's why we have all of heaven behind us because we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe, of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. That Holy Spirit is your guarantee. And you know you have it if you can say, I believe that Jesus Christ is my savior. You are saved. All right, now, here comes the last part, and this is the most important part. What did Elijah do before he prayed for God to bring down fire? He rebuilt the altar. There's great significance in this. 
What you need to know was that in the Old Testament, whenever the patriarchs would travel, they would always build altars. These altars were their, test, their personal testimony and witness. This is where God appeared for me. This is where God left no doubt. This is where God made himself known to me in a way I've never known him before. This is where I worshiped God. That's why they built altars, okay? Elijah is now rebuilding an altar that had been torn down. Here's what you need to know about this. The fact that the altar had been torn down is evidence the people had left God. Do you understand that? The altar was torn down, which meant the people had departed from God. So in Elijah rebuilding the altar, what's he doing? Two things. Number one, he's rebuking the people. You've allowed this altar to come down. But the second thing he's doing is this. He's starting all over again. He's going back to the very beginning. And my friends, that's where we need to begin. There was a time in this nation when there was an altar of devotion in every single home of believers. And that altar, that time of devotion has been neglected that altar through the treasures of the world has fallen apart. How many of us on a regular basis have a time, a place of devotion in the home and the result of that is a cloud has covered our homes, our community, our churches, our nations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And so what we learn from this lesson today, like Eli with Elijah, is this. It's not, to, it's not the end. What do we have to do? We have to go back to the beginning, and we have to rebuild the altar. And you know how we rebuild the altar? Confession of sins. It's just a matter of going back and saying to God, yep, I did it. I've neglected that altar. That altar is just kind of in the pile right now. But I'm gonna rebuild that altar and I'm gonna erect it once again and I'm gonna have my home once again, a place where devotion to God is taking place. And I want the same thing for all of you. I know a lot of you are thinking, well, how do I do that? Well, it may begin by maybe you say a prayer at meals. It may be where you just gather your kids together and you have a little devotion. We've got devotions here at church we can give you. But it just begins by rebuilding the altar, gathering together for a time of devotion, and once again, bringing the Lord God and making him first in your life. And you watch what happens in your home. You do it in your business. You do it in your church. We do it in our communities, and we watch and see what God does. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to close our service with a time of confession. And I want to remind you, God's not pointing at you, but I will tell you this. I know the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and especially some of you men like me. And he's saying, I want to be first place in your home, Bob. 
you got to put me there. And by our time of confession right now, God will redo everything. And you know what? We'll start anew. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, none of us like to admit that we've done wrong. What we like to do is we like to blame it on other people. But Lord, even though we're in a room with many people, this is me and you. And God, I need to confess to you that I've allowed that altar in my home to erode, to begin to fall apart. And I've allowed the busyness of my life and of this world to take a priority. And God, I admit that to you. I confess that. But even now, Father, I know that what I'm doing is I'm rebuilding that altar, stone by stone. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to once again replace you on that altar. I know, Lord, that my sin has been forgiven. Jesus paid for that at the cross. But I just want to confess it to you because I don't want, to be any, I don't want there to be anything in my life that could hinder me from hearing your voice. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I want to be on fire for you. For where you are, there is always a fire. So God, I'm just going to say thank you for what you've done. And I'm going to thank you even for what you're getting ready to do. And I pray, Lord God, that this happens in every home that is in this facility and every home that is listening online. And I'm praying, Lord God, that you would just come in and take over. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Thank you for what you're about to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you please stand with me?